Hello and welcome to Style and Substance, a branding and business podcast for inspired and empowered entrepreneurs. I'm Elizabeth Cairns and together with my fabulous co-host Fiona Humberstone, we're here to help you sidestep the hustle, keep joy at the forefront of your work and champion a more meaningful and sustainable approach to business. We'll talk about everything from purpose to productivity, from colour psychology to creativity, where to start and how to keep going, how to stay inspired, empowered, and more importantly, sane in the process. We hope you enjoy the show. And if you do, please like, share, subscribe, and keep listening. Welcome back to our self-publishing series. We really hope that you've enjoyed our experiences and our stories. And what we want to do in this episode is really get into the nuts and bolts, I guess, of how you create a brilliant book. We're going to get onto the styling, the design, and not making it look self-published in a future episode. But there is so much to talk about just in terms of the process of writing, how you decide what content goes in, how you kind of emotionally create something that you're really proud of. So I wonder if we start with how people know whether it's the right time. Yeah, that's a really good question, isn't it? And I think there are infinite answers to that. Mm. And I think it's a very personal journey. There's this combination of it makes strategic sense, but as we've said before, that's not enough. So there has to be this, for me anyway, and certainly the experience with a lot of other writers I've worked with, including you, is there has to be this pull. There has to be this mm. sense of the time is now. And if I don't do it now, there's an urgency about it. If I don't do it now, I'm going to miss this opportunity. That mm. feeling of readiness, because there's a point at which we turn pro, as Stephen Pressfield would say, we turn pro with our writing. And there has to be some sort of galvanizing force that says, I'm not going to let this one go. Yeah. It's having enough inspiration. It's knowing you have something to say that's going to be of value. And there's a point at which, and it'd be interesting to hear your take on this, I have an internal feeling when those ideas are synergized enough internally that they can then come out into mm. a piece of writing. So strategically, we need to look at the audience, the market, what it's doing for our business, what it's doing for our work, what it's doing for us individually. And do we have the commitment to it to be able to see it through? That's what I was going to say. So for me, I think in terms of this next book, I I think I've got a fairly clear sense of the structure in the process. Mm -hmm. But there's two things missing for me. One is that momentum, that pull forwards that I absolutely have with the Must Eat client. I absolutely have that with the Surrey Hills interior project. So there's that kind of inner excitement, unstoppable force of energy that I can't not do it. But the other side of that is that's not going to last for very long, I don't think. I think I will get this surge of energy. Um, but you also need the sense of grit and commitment to see things through. I don't think I've made that contract with myself to make this happen. 
yes. which is why it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But I know that when I do, it will happen. And it, yeah. you know, I will absolutely see it through. And do you think anyone in business can write a book? No, I don't think they can. And that sounds really blunt, doesn't it? But I think to be able to write a great book, one that's going to add real value to your reader. And let's be honest, as a business book, the more value your book adds to your reader, the more work you're going to get off the back of it, the more credibility it's going to create, the more momentum that book is going to generate. As an author of a business book, you need to have something to share. And I guess we're talking specifically about the kinds of books that we've written rather than a memoir. You know, if you've created some amazing business from scratch, there is value, merit in telling your story of how you did that. We're not really talking about those kind of books. We're talking about the kinds of books that either we've written or we've supported our clients in writing. So the kinds of books that take a reader on a journey add value, help them transform some element of their business. My sense is that for you to be able to do that, my sense of that is that to do that, you need a clear sense of your process, what sets you apart, what value you add, because that's what you're going to build your book around. So if you are following someone else's process or you're not massively experienced in what you do, now is not the time to write your book. Yeah. What do you think? I agree. And I also think, yes, anyone can write a book. If you feel like you have a book inside you, there's nothing to say don't write that book. Whether or not it will have commercial benefit to your business or not, or whether it's going to be a useful investment in your time because it takes a lot of time and energy is another question. A lot of people come to me with a desire to write a book, but they don't really think they deserve to or they should or they have something to say. And that's probably the biggest initial hurdle that a lot of people Mm. come across. And quite often people do have a strong process or they do have a way of doing things, but they have no idea what that is. Yeah. And I think there's so much value in that. The other flip side to my no was also that... I don't think everybody enjoys writing. And I know this sounds really obvious, but if you don't enjoy writing, if your writing isn't something that, you know, nobody's saying you can't hone your writing. Nobody's saying that you can't be edited. But if you don't enjoy the process of writing, don't write a book. (laughs) Yeah, because it does take a lot, doesn't it? It takes a lot of hours. Yeah. There's other things that you can do, you know, create an online course, do a podcast, write audio books, you know, be a YouTube creator. You don't have to write a book. Do you think it's just because we've done it and the veil is off? I'm not sure that there's that sort of big mystique and credibility and kind of pull for me now around being an author. But I don't know if that's just because I am one and I've done it. Do you think there's still that big mystique that there was 10, 20 years ago? I think there is for some people. I mean, funnily enough, I never had, I had the aspiration of writing a book because I I wanted to capture, you know, I love books and I wanted to capture what I wanted to say in that physical medium of a book. 
but I didn't have the sort of starstruck, be a published author, mystique feeling that a lot of people come to me with. But I don't think it's as strong as it probably was 10 years ago because self-publishing has exploded and it Mm. hadn't when we were doing it. But I think for some people, there is still a sense of the unreachable about it, which obviously we don't have because we've done that. Yeah, I I think it's probably more that unreachable sense. It seems like such a huge thing to do, Mm. such a huge undertaking. I'm not sure it's any bigger an undertaking than writing The Resonant Brand Method, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. But I think the sense of excitement and jeopardy in yeah. self-publishing a book is a lot bigger. So it it feels like a bigger achievement. And I suppose thinking about my next book, I'm not feeling that sense of jeopardy, maybe. You know, it mm. just it feels like another project. Maybe I need to get back into that space of it feeling more risky for me to find that excitement <laughs> to want to do it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think understanding our own individual motivations is part of the writing journey. And everyone's will be different. Mm. And the impetus to start a project then shifts into the motivation required to maintain the project. And then there's another shift towards the end around this knowing when it's fully formed and then being able to let it go. So that there are distinct phases in the book journey. At each point, there's a different level of self-awareness and a different level of understanding and a different gear of motivation required. And I think... Mm assuming that just because you start out of the gates really strong that you're then going to have everything it takes to continue that project I think is a challenge that a lot of people find you know quite often people come to me going well I've kind of got a bit of a manuscript but it's all just gone dead in the water Mm. is there one thing you feel kills that mojo or is it different for everybody that's a really interesting question um because I, I, my sense is possibly sometimes imposter syndrome c- kicks in and, and this fear of, is it really any good? And who do I think I am to be writing this? Less probably being found out, but more just, I've shared it multiple times, this creative process of, so you start a project, you feel great, and then the doubt creeps in and you're like, oh, no, this is no good. This is shit. I'm shit. Who do I think I am to be writing? And <laughs> and you have to kind of work through that to hone it. And I think there's some really valuable stuff in that because that is part of the editing process, but it is not fun when you're in it. And And I think sometimes as authors, as creatives in general, we can get stuck in that place of this is shit and I'm shit. And then we can spiral into imposter syndrome and it can all turn a bit nasty. Yeah, I think there are definitely patterns that I see coming up time and time again and everybody's journey is unique as to when they Mm. hit. I also think there's a point that kicks in where as I've said before, that initial inspiration and drive to create wanes and then the reality of what it's actually going to take to finish this and the balancing act Mm. of, well, do I know it's going to be any good and is it going to be worth it? That's definitely the point a lot of people get to. And that was a big thing for me with Brand Brilliance was I was absolutely certain it would be worth it because it had been worth it before and it's going to be worth it again. Whereas going into this book, 
I don't have that same blind optimism because although Brown Brilliance also made its money back within a couple of months, it hasn't been the runaway success that How to Style Your Brand was. And is it worth me now taking six months out of paid work to go and do this project? I don't know. Yeah, that's where we have to have a number of motivating forces to shore us up. Mm. So it can't just rest on one thing. Mm. The success of a project can't just be about the commercial success. The success of a project can't just be about becoming published. There has to be a number of things that when one of those wanes, there are other things to shore it up. Mm. Yeah. A lot of the questions I get asked around how do you find the confidence to go for it in the first place? And also, how do you make sure it's good? Mm. How did you tackle those with both books? <laughs> Misplaced sense of confidence, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Gung ho narcissism. Yeah. I had spoken to so many entrepreneurs that needed this book. Mm. And I was already starting to see that there were a lot of designers that would benefit from those insights as well. I just felt that I had to write it. And that makes me sound all very public service, but it really was driven by that absolute crystal clarity that this was a book that was very much needed and would add a lot of value. And I wasn't Mm going to take no for an answer. How did I make sure it was any good? Well, I knew we had something in what is now kind of the foundations of my resonant brand method. I knew that I had something to say, something of value, something that was different and and something that was very, it's, it's hard to realize this now, but how I was doing things was very different to the way that the industry did them. And, and big swathes of the industry still do things quite differently. So I felt like I I had something to say. And so how how I made that good was just making sure that it was clear and easy for people to follow. Mm. And in terms of your process, what were your checking points for that? Well, muses, just checking, you know, at each point, has Ange got what she needs out of this? You know, is is this going to work for Tracy? <laughs> For argument's sake. And what's interesting is that checking is happening on the inside of you. You're not sending it to Ange and Tracy and Tom and Joe or whatever. No. I did at the end, I did. I sent it out to a couple of people. I kind of learned my lesson on that with Brand Brilliance in that I sent it out to a handful of beta readers and one of whom was practising as a kind of brand strategist consultant at the time. And, And... quickly realised that six months before I'd published the book, they were adopting the language, the process, and kind of sharing it on their website, which, you know, aside from making me quite uncomfortable that there was no credit for that, also... Well, it diluted the impact. It dilutes the impact, and it, it kind of makes it difficult for you to own your method when it's out there because you've given someone the book. (laughs) <laughs> so they, you know, hmm. so that that was a real lesson learned, and I I've, I've become much better as I've got older about developing my inner 
sense of what's good and what's not. And that does not mean that I'm not really diligent. You know how much effort and care I put into making sure things meet a brief and that they're, they're done with excellence. I mean, that whole like done is better than perfect is not my vibe whatsoever. (laughs) But I'm, I'm also not really now relying on the opinions of outsiders for whether something's good. Yes. And that's really key, I think, to any writer's journey. There's a point when we share our work where it's incredibly vulnerable and there is a huge risk on sharing that work too early Mm. or at all in terms of our confidence. And it's the same, I suppose, when you're when you talk about this in relation to designers, you know, when a designer sends back a a logo design and then you ask your best friend whether it's any good or not, well, what do they know? You know, are they the target muse? Are they not? Well, and it's that same, if you don't have a solid process behind you, it's that same exposing vulnerable feeling. You know, you have to know internally, in the case of brand design, that this is good design. You know, it's well-crafted. And it meets the brief. It's right for the project. Now, I can't control whether my client loves it or not, but I do know that it creates the right impact and I know it's beautiful. And it's kind of the same with a book. You have to, and this is why I'm saying, if you're not a great writer, for goodness sake, don't write a book. Mm. You know, practice Mm. writing first. Do a couple of years of blogging first if you want to to hone your craft but Mm. just like you have to know what good design looks like you need to know what good writing looks like and I think there's lots of different styles of writing as well and so this is the same with design it's very easy to get crippled by what other people are doing you know you've got to have your voice and and I think that's probably something that people find as they write would you agree definitely when you're writing a book, it's so important to to nestle into your own voice and to stop reading other people's stuff while you're writing. Yeah, 100%. And just to close off what I was saying as well, between that comparison with design, you've got to know that what you've, you've written is well written. But I also think it's got to answer that brief in the same way as a brand design would. So does it do the job you're setting out to do? If you're If you're wanting to encourage people maybe I don't know to stretch and get outside in nature and drink lots of water before they get stuck into their emails has that piece of writing done that job you know it's it's about sort of measuring how effective something is and I think that can do a lot for navigating your way through that crippling is this any good situation yeah and I think that's where a good editor can support you in that process as well yeah we'll we'll maybe talk about that in a minute the other piece about sharing your work you have to share it at a point at which you are ready for the feedback and I remember when just before um the empowered entrepreneur came out and you were badgering me to send you the manuscript don't worry if it's not (laughs) finished don't worry don't worry and I knew you were so excited about you know getting the flat lays done and seeing the seeing how it was all going to work in terms of the design and I drove you nuts by saying no you can't have it yet you can't have it because I know it's not done I know Mm. that even though at the moment as I'm writing this bit two-thirds of the way through that I'm pretty sure it's going to go in but I don't know Mm. and you have to know that it's the very best that you're ready, that it's the very best shape that you can get it into 
before it goes elsewhere, unless you're working with a coach or, a, or an editor or a, or a writing support team that are engaged in that process with you, where it's safe to share that stuff and where it's safe to explore ideas. But I think there's a huge risk that a lot of people take with their writing where they they might send out an introductory chapter and then they get a load of feedback and it throws them off. It throws them off their own inspiration. It throws them off their magic. It takes their writing in a different direction than the inspired contract that they've made with this entity that is the book that they're writing. And it's a very subtle dance that we have to navigate. And if we're asking for a lot of external feedback and a lot of validation, that's a real signal to come back to yourself and to go, hang on a minute, let's look at my credibility for this. Let's look at what I need to believe about myself to get the confidence to be able to write. And there's loads of tricks of the trade around this stuff. But one of them is allow yourself the freedom to write a first draft that no one will ever see. You know, just give yourself that creative freedom to do that. And that largely, a lot of people ask me, you know, how do you get the confidence to write? Well, you just write. You just have to write and keep writing. That's such good advice. And you know what this has also reminded me of is the reason I was asking you for the work and the reason I was saying it didn't matter if it wasn't finished is because I wanted to get on with the design so I'd already created your concepts I wanted to drop it in and I was very happy to switch out paragraphs or drop in words but it might be worth just talking briefly about the phases that you would go through if you were publishing a book because effectively what happens is the minute you put those words into the design, you stop looking at the words and you start looking at how it looks. Yes. So you have to be sure that that badly presented manuscript in all its ugliness is as beautiful in terms of the language and the prose and the sentence structure and the structure as a whole as you can make it before you get distracted by colours, layouts, photography absolutely so if we think about the process quickly you would start with your proposal in your head you know this doesn't have to be for publishers but it's incredibly helpful if it is you brand a book just like you brand anything else what is this book about where does it sit in the market who's it for and what else is out there like this book you need to buy those books, you need to read them, you need to look at the the feedback and you need to look at how you're going to be different. Now, in the case of How to Style Your Brand, there was nothing like it. Same with Brand Brilliance. Mm. Um, so you need to start from that place. You would then, in my experience, start mapping out the key structure of the book, mm-hmm. the chapters. And, and then from there, I would write my manuscript we would edit it, it would it would become great. And then I would move on to the mock-ups where you, you just take a few pages, maybe 20 of a 200-page book, and you think about, well, what are the chapter headings going to look like? What are the text, full text pages going to look like? What might my quotes look like? What might my headers look like? If I'm going to put images in, how might I style those? So you, you create a collection of sample pages. Once you've done that, 
ideally you've had your manuscript finished by that point. And the I think the sample pages, particularly if you're working with an external book designer, the sample pages can happen as you're finishing off that manuscript. My sense is that that can be a real sense of pull to get yeah. you through that that last bit. The sample pages are really just ideas. So we don't have to get specific about what's on them. And we certainly don't want to slide from sample pages into book design. It becomes a bit of a behemoth. So Mm. you've got your sample pages. This is what it's going to look like. You then finish your manuscript. You finish the edit and then you hand it to the book designer who's designing with finished content. Now, it might be seeing it in visual form gives you a new lens and in my experience you always edit again when it's visual yeah you're not putting your first draft into the design or even the third draft into the design you're putting something in that you're very very happy with yeah absolutely you're dropping in images we haven't talked about the flat plan actually either have we which would happen once the manuscript was done so that's when you map out pages you map out where the images are going to go what images you need the photo shoot, you go off and do that separately, and then it all comes together. Yeah. There's also distinct stages to the editing process. Okay. When people think about editing, you sort of think, I'll take a whole manuscript and I'll I'll just I'll just edit that. I'll dot all the I's, I'll cross all the T's, I'll tidy up the words. But quite often as an editor, the first pass of edit I'll do for a lot of people is a structural edit. And this is really important Mm. because you can't get to a line edit, i.e. looking at every word and every line Mm. and the typos and the context and all of that until you know that the structure of your book and the flow of your book is sound. And people approach this in different ways. So some people enjoy, and I recommend it if it feels right for you, but it's not right for everybody. Some people enjoy, and I know that you, you and I work this way, Having the chapters laid out, the flow of the book, the clarity of direction of it as the first piece. Yeah, that works really well for me. That works really well for me. And that's quite often because by the time it comes to writing, all of my thoughts are synergized. Everything makes sense. Well, and, and also because for me, the most important thing is that my book is really easy to follow and easy to execute and robust. And so if I was just to splurge my thoughts and feelings, it would be an absolute behemoth to get into any form of structure. Yeah. And quite often I'll take a splurge and create structure from it because a lot of people, they haven't necessarily done the pre-thinking. That's a process of working out that they can't always do on their own. Yeah. But, but is this not why we should work with someone brilliant like you? Because I think this is where we find it very difficult to let go of things. Because when you're in this splurge state, you write some great stuff, but you've said the same thing five times over and you can only keep one. And you've wasted all that time writing the same thing five times over. What's the upside, I guess, in the splurge process? <laughs> because it seems like it seems like a real non-starter to me it seems like an absolute waste of time efficiency energy and and in my inexperienced eye I can see how that would be a big reason for piles of manuscripts sat unfinished yeah absolutely there's quite a lot to get into here what often happens with the splurge approach and by that I mean 
just sit down and write. You don't have to work out where it's going to go yet. You don't necessarily know which chapter. You might have a broad sense of that, but you haven't mm. gone through and gone, chapter one is this, two is this, three is this, and then in a in a proper tight structural edit, therefore paragraph one needs to go in this direction. The, mm. the conclusion needs to say this. This is the journey I'm taking people through. If you just start writing, which some people do need to get into because they haven't flexed that muscle enough yet, particularly if it's your first book, there will come a point where that sort of initial inspiration dissipates and you run out of things to say. And then Mm -hmm. you look at your manuscript and you go, oh, this is a real mess. I don't even know if this is adding any value. And quite often that's when, you know, I'll let authors have their head and, and run with that. And that's when I go, right, let's work out what you're trying to say and often I won't go into the detail almost of what they've written and try and pull it apart and move it Mm. into something that makes sense I'll actually pull the process out of them fresh because in that writing process something will have happened on the inside of the writer that is starting to see the bigger picture of what they're producing and starting to make sense of it but they won't necessarily have galvanized that into something that makes sense So Mm. that initial splurging process allows a lot of synergy to happen on the inside. I wouldn't recommend somebody splurges 60,000 words because you are going to waste a lot of time if you don't know the order that that's going in. But some people find it really daunting to commit to this is these are the chapters. This is the flow. Well, what if I'm inspired by something else? It's like, well, you can have both. Start with a structure, know the journey you're taking people on and then quite often people find, well, I'm inspired to write this. Does it fit? Hmm. So at the very least, you have to understand, as you say, who it's for, what what it's doing, what's the journey you're taking them on. And what are the things that you have to say that are uniquely yours? And I would almost say the opposite. I would say don't go out and buy all the other books in the market on that and don't read them, particularly if you're a new writer, because that can kill your confidence dead in the water. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I absolutely would. But I, I suppose then you have to know, I think, you have to know that there's a gap in the market and you have to know that you're yeah, offering something unique. And I wonder how you do that. I didn't buy all the books in my category because there weren't any. Yeah. But I suppose I came at it with, with a decade of inspiration behind me. Just on that kind of process, I think also what what I'm advocating for writing, I can't think of anything more uninspiring than writing by numbers. So sitting down and saying, right, I'm going to write a a chapter on what is brand styling. And this is what my uh, introductory paragraph is going to say. And this is what I'm saying in paragraph one. This is what I'm saying. No, I never, ever, ever do that. But, and I guess what you're saying is the splurge process, see it as a warm up, see it as your practice for writing Mm -hmm. and also take the pressure off and, and see it as something that it doesn't matter if we use it or not, just start writing. It's a bit like that author's pages thing, isn't it? In a way, just warm up because we don't write most of us prolifically anymore so we do need to get into that flow state don't we I think I think there's a bit of a happy medium between having this absolute behemoth that you've written that you then need to structurally edit oh it's an editor's nightmare 
you know, that's why I'm saying I set out at the start. So for the new book, I have a structure already in place. And I think because I've written so many online courses and seminars and presentations, I kind of know how people learn. I know how I write. And I also know that every online course we do, we add things in, we take things out, we move things around. And that's part of you, you can't see what order things need to go in until you've written it half the time. And that's where, just in terms of the writing vehicle that you use, I love Scrivener because mm. it enables you to have flexibility in the way that yeah. you write and you can pull chapters around and you can move things because yeah. quite often the, the subtlety, you know, there'll be a number of passes of that structural edit and mm. you're absolutely right. Write by numbers is utterly flow-killing inspiration Mm. deadening and doesn't make for the most exciting work but if you have a broad sense of the direction that you're headed in and you have a sense of the flow and the structure you don't have to write in that order either I think this is the other thing a lot of people will start with their introduction and then they'll get completely hung up on it the introduction comes last yes because you don't know how to wrap all that up until you've written Mm. it yeah Writing isn't a linear process. It's an inspired process when it's done really well. I think on that, trust that you will become excited again. You will start to see the value in what you've done. You'll start to believe in yourself, in my experience, as you you go through. So if, if I just think about the process of writing an online course, it's all guns blazing and excitement and vision at the start. And then I then I you know we always map out my chapters and my lessons within each chapter and then I get into the meat of building out those lessons and it it's it's grit and it's commitment and it's just getting on and doing it and then it's kind of moving everything around and then you start to see the value and you start to get excited about it again and you really start to see everything come together so I think in that middle bit, you have to trust that it will come together if you just stick with it. Yeah, absolutely. One of the most common pitfalls I see people falling into is they try and edit as they go. And that's another inspiration killer. No, just move on. It's like, allow yourself the freedom of that first draft. Get a decent editor in to look at your work objectively. And in the same way that you would brief a designer for a project, your editor has to really understand who this is for. They have to know your market. They need to know what you're getting at. They need to be able to get right under the skin of the muse to be able to know what to cull and what not to cull. Because it's not just about making beautiful words sing on a page. Anyone can write beautifully edited good English, but Mm. is this going to really speak to the heart of your audience? Is it going to add value to your business? Yeah, you and your editor have to really know that. So moving on from the edit, one big question that I think always needs weighing up is how much of your IP do you, and I'm putting speech marks around this, give away? You're not giving it away because people are paying for the book. But obviously, Mm -hmm. if you were to go in and deliver some consultancy, you would be giving it away for considerably more than the book is worth. Mm -hmm. So how do we navigate that question? I think that comes back to what's the purpose the book is doing for you? Mm. What are the risks associated in doing that? So one of the lovely things about a book is that you're capturing your IP and you're branding it and you're owning it and you're putting it out there as yours. (laughs) Mm. So 
it's a mark of ownership and it's a way to to put your stamp on something in a way that other people can't do that doesn't get diluted it's there in its purest form as you want it represented so I don't worry too much about how much I would give away I would give away as much as serves the purpose of the book Mm. and yeah I I don't tend to get into into the fear factor around that and then that decision also comes into well if you look at it as one of many offerings from your business where does it fit in that Mm. workflow what's it what comes before it what comes after it what is it leading people onto and how much do they need to know to get them to that next point in the process so I think there's there's all sorts of questions to consider but if you've got something valuable to say that's going to add value to your audience why hold it back I think it's that holding back I think generally holding stuff back doesn't do great things for your relationship with the reader Mm. Um, I mean, it, I think it, part of it depends on how you go about marketing your businesses. There are lots of very successful, wealthy, multi-level marketers who use their book as a, a hook and, yeah. you know, just leave people wanting more. It's, I think you've got to weigh up how that sits with you. I think the other thing that's worth bearing in mind is that different medium work at different levels so there are particular things about you know if we just think about color psychology for example I love the fact with my color psychology handbook which I did print as a book but really it's a downloadable pdf but I treated it like a mini book project I love the fact that you've got that always referable to black and white reference point you know, where you can really get the facts. Whereas if you were to come on a celebration of the seasons workshop, you get that really immersive, full body sense of Mm. the seasons in terms of smell, taste, visuals, touch, which would mean that in your body, you would hang on to that information in a very different way. Yeah. But you still need the book to go back and reference well, you know, what what colours fit into that or what shapes do fit into summer? Mm. Um, And then, you know, an online course is great because you can show people things. They can come back to it. They can learn at their own pace. You know, we all have different learning styles. So a a workshop, people, different people will get different things from. Mm. So I think they all have a place in our business models. And... And a book, you know, you can't show people, you can't get them to experience things, you you can't get them to do things in the way that you might with a course or a workshop or in-person one-to-one consulting. So I think there is probably less risk than you might think to your own IP in giving things away. As Yeah, I'd agree. That also prompts a thought in me about the format of the book. So Mm. your book can take any format and being very clear about the best format for the purpose. So Mm. the Empowered Entrepreneur could have been a workbook. I could have made it a very interactive work. And we deliberately decided not to do that for various reasons. Mm. That's not to say that's the right or the wrong decision. But I think being very clear about what you want someone's experience of your book to be as they're reading it and as they're working through it if someone has to you know I've read a lot of 
like Julia Cameron's Artist's Way or some of those other much more practical books that you that you have as a companion with you and you're you're working in the book or you're writing in the margins is a very different experience from maybe sitting down with the the empowered entrepreneur in your favorite armchair or in your favorite spot in nature with Mm. the thermos flask and immersing yourself in letting one person's voice and soul speak to your voice and soul as with any work of art or project how do you know it's done it's such a good question because I think this is one of the things that people find so crippling isn't it that idea that this is final it's out there I'm not going to be able to go back and tinker with it yes it's really challenging and I I think that's probably a, a question for you rather than for me I mean I think so for me there's always a deadline with a book always you know there's always a goal in mind you said for you it was about having those books in time for the workshop for me there's always again something in my mind that I'm working towards because there does have to be this period of absolute productivity it's not something that can just drift on and because commercially you know with me doing all of the production myself there's a very real business cost to me working on the book rather than on client work. Yes. If I think about how I apply this to more recent projects like the Absolute Essentials of Colour Psychology or any of the online courses I've created, there's that feedback dialogue with you. You know, you've worked through it, you've looked for the I's crossed, T's dotted, whatever phrase it is. Um, I've had it proofread. You know, we have checked and I tend to use about seven or eight proofreaders for books. So we've we've got rid of any obvious mistakes, if you like. The whole way through the process, it's been being checked. You know, so there's that sort of constant checking in, evolving, elevating piece. And I just think, for me, by the time it gets to the end, I just know, I feel excited. It's that energy forward sense that, mm. yeah, mm. I've done my best. Yeah, agreed. There's that certainty in the same way as, I, you know, I work with a lot of artists, a lot of traditional artists, and and they know when it when a piece is done because they're it's not speaking to them anymore. It's not saying, no, hang on, this bit's not quite finished. Or mm. it's, it's like there's that finality of feeling that there's nothing left to say. Yeah. I've said all I need to say here and we have to let it go. We've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's and made sure that it's the best work that you could have produced, that you stand by everything that you say. Now, mm. you may not stand by it in 10 years' time, but that's okay. But you have yeah. to know that you are prepared to put your name and your photo to what you've said at this mm. point in time. So it ha- there can't be any doubt about if I was challenged on this do I agree with what I've written not whether it's good not whether you think Mm. not the imposter syndrome pieces around whether you who do you think you are to write something who do you think you are to be an author is it any good have you had the right editor it's not those kind of doubts but is it the no whether I think it's earth-shatteringly brilliant or the best thing since sliced bread and the most nouveau way of looking at things or not do I stand by it Mm, do I believe in it? Do I believe in it? Do I stand by it? 
And have I said all that needs to be said? And then there is a point where you have to be able to let it go. And certainly from my experience, working with a dream team of creatives to pull that together and knowing you've worked with the absolute best in the business makes a huge difference. Knowing that, you know, the illustrations that I commissioned with Gail were the nuts. Mm. And unfortunately, I mean, you have a test proof, but it, but that by the time you get your test proof in your hand, it's too late. You've committed to the print run. You don't mm. get to feel the final thing until yeah. you've got the final thing. So you have to trust and you have to have that that clarity of vision. And, and then it's just like birthing anything. You have to let it go. Yeah. Exciting. Very exciting. There should be more on this, lovely listeners. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to Style and Substance. We really hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find more information on everything we've talked about by heading to the show notes or by visiting our websites at thebrand-stylist.com or elizabethcairns.com. If you like what you've heard, we'd love a review. We're a brand new show and your support makes all the difference. You can like and subscribe as well as giving us what we hope is a well-deserved five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show too, so please do leave your comments, questions or suggestions for future episodes on our blogs. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye.